0: Is it on? Oh,
1: yes.
2: Thank you for the wonderful lunch.
0: My name is Tad Mitsui, and thank you, Glenda, for your interesting and challenging question. My question is, what is the difference between Canadian model of TFW and what, is, what was practiced in South Africa until 1989 under apartheid? It looks very much alike. They were not allowed to live permanently. It's a racially or, uh, oriented, low-paid. Could you tell me if there is any difference between apartheid and TFW?
2: <laughs> uh, I need everyone's mind to work on the tough question. Okay. Um, honestly I haven't gotten to the point of comparing the temporary farm worker program to apartheid policy in South Africa. But the practice, for example, of exclusion and the use of particular racialized labor to make you know to roll the economy has similarities. But the understanding is that South Africa at that time was not democratic. Country under the say, under international laws or accepted practice, Canada is said to be the leader for human rights. Canada sent missions as a peacekeeping mission and whatnot, and Canada is supposed to be a democratic uh, country. So, there is no comparison in terms of the framework upon which the government attracts or invites foreign workers to Canada and to the upper side. Upper thigh was within. They're not considered foreign workers. They're part of South Africa as African citizens but they're just black as opposed to the white, mostly by Dutch uh, descent. But in Canada, you have an official policy that actually attracts foreign migrant labor into Canada. The assumption is that it is by choice that they would like to Canada and they seek through different recruitment agencies to really come to Canada, whereas in South Africa, they are part of the country, they are part of the state within, although the practices could be the same of exclusion, uh, discrimination, racialization of labor, has similarities, similar patterns. So um, I hope I answer the question. Thank you.
3: <laughs> Good afternoon, and thank you very much for your informative talk. I'm Carol Beswick, a marriage commissioner. I provide many marriage services for uh, Filipinos, uh, Nepalese, Um, immigrants. And I would like to know if there's any, um, what is the pathway to citizenship regarding marriage between TFWs
2: and either uh, residents or citizens of Canada? That's a very good question. Um, Although my research is on migration, I'm not an expert on immigration law. (laughs) But uh, in terms of uh, temporary... A temporary farm worker granted a work permit for 12 months or 24 months. And in the time that they fall in love with somebody from the from work or, I don't know, maybe somewhere across the street or upon walking, you know, something magical happened between them and assuming that they fall in love, the temporary farm worker still has to complete this program. She... Um, she simply cannot take away that work permit because of, you know, marriage. So after the the temporary foreign worker would have actually completed or before expiration of her permit, then there would be an application for sponsorship from the fiancé or maybe a spousal visa. Uh, Recently, there's been changes on this, on marriage rules between, you know, in Canada, which has been tightened, and that's as far as I could go. It's like in the United States, the fastest way to actually gain residency is via the fiancé visa. But how you actually transition from a work permit to that, it's different in terms of program. And uh, as far as I could know, I'm not no expert on immigration law, and it's different depending on which uh, program you actually fall into.
0: Good afternoon, and thank you again. Uh, my name is Gary Garbutt. I'm with Access foreign workers working with employers to bring foreign workers into Canada. Uh, I understand that you're advocating for um, the transitional um, application, such as in Manitoba. Um, is there any move by the government to bring that um, transitional format into Alberta or any other provinces?
2: Okay. That's a very good question, as, as well. In terms of uh, the provincial nominee program is under the jurisdiction of the provincial government. The, with the uh, different uh, arrangements with uh, the federal government and the provinces, each particular province in Canada uh, secures uh, designs their own provincial nominee program. And um, what happens in Manitoba is d- unique to all other provincial nominee programs in Canada, including Nova Scotia, British Columbia, all other provinces. So it is not a question of whether the, the federal government would actually bring that sort of transitional work into Alberta, but rather the Alberta government, through maybe advocacy of people, business, and others, would actually make that as the issue. It is not, uh, I think, uh, a mandate of the federal government to change that for Alberta, but rather for Alberta to design the same kind of a program, or similar, that actually less restrictive as uh, what we have today. So I I hope I I got that. Are Are there any other
3: questions? Don't be shy.
0: Hi, Glenda. My name is Knut Peterson. Glenda, is there any statistics on... How many temporary foreign workers stay illegally after the, the permit runs out?
2: That's the subject of our next research. So there is no official statistics in Canada as to the number of illegal migrant workers. You have only the assumption, for example, in the United States, you have the approximate, the estimated number of undocumented. In Canada, we do not have the number so assuming for example that a temporary farm worker would have actually given the exit and otherwise would have actually gone to the plane but uh, the process of monitoring this we don't have that so it is a it's a it's a big question and it's a good area for research to really understand uh, maybe project how many of those really are illegal, undocumented, become undocumented. Because in the present uh, trajectory for temporary workers, this will be on the rise. So we haven't seen the kind of expansion as in the United States, where we have the guest worker scheme and others in other countries. But in Canada, because we opened the path for more temporary workers, and many of these workers wants to stay in Canada there are different avenues that actually you could you could tweak on with the immigration law to to stay here oh. and uh, based on uh, practice Canada's uh, treatment of illegal <laughs> or undocumented is still humane compared to Australia for example where you could actually be detained or not, so that's kind of a more rigid monitoring of workers. In Canada, there's a lack something of how to follow through, so the argument could be said that it's possible that those who want to stay would actually go into this illegal stream, and, or maybe once here, find other ways to become legal again, okay? Depending on your status, for example, if you are an agricultural worker, or you know under a living caregiver, for living caregivers they are perceived to be in a better mold because after twenty four months of living requirement, they have the path they have the right to apply. Only the application it doesn't guarantee approval and when she applies, it takes about four or six years before actually reuniting with her family. For others, it's different. So that 's as far as I could say.
0: Hello, my name is Frank Toth. Uh, I had to bite my tongue to get up and ask question here because it's a uh, the situation that you talk about depends on your own position in life, your past labor, what have you. Uh, we have had eight. Condemnations of the United Nations, on our First Nations, the way we treat them in Canada. I'm a veteran. We fought for democracy, you say. We're the most democratic country in the world. Fortunately, unfortunately, we elect ideology parties that are looking after the rich of the country. Uh... Our Prime Minister just donated $9 billion tax relief for the banks and big industries who are some using these same people that you're representing as cheap labor. The labor laws have been fought by blood and sweat for generations Lethbridge us the origination of the 8-hour day. The coal miners, I, I'm just saying that, that's a fact. But I just wonder, makes you think, uh, is this a ploy to reduce the strength of the labor unions in this country or being, being sacrificed for the sake of ideology? When we announced today, unfortunately, today there are 120,000 people losing their jobs in important services in this country, all right? And the thumb rule of thumb says that for every unemployed, there's ten others affected, which means a million two hundred people are affected by this government's predication today to lay off all these people. Okay, so then the same time we come up with this subject that you're talking about, it makes it a little very very touchy. What the what your feelings and. And the decision is going to be about what should we do about it. You're a brave person, well-educated. Bless you for bringing the subject to us. It makes us think in the midst of an election, provincial. Thank you.
2: Okay. I think what uh, you're trying to say is that with the rising unemployment rate in Canada, what is the rationale, for example, of or what is the justification for continued hiring of temporary foreign workers? Was that it? So uh, that's a very good point that you address. And uh, if you look into the, since 1966, for example, since the 1980s, for example, for the domestic worker program, there is, there's been a lobby, for example, of uh, actually tying up these foreign workers into the national occupation list, that if supposed to be this kind of patient is on demand in Canada, then there should be a regular stream for them. And uh, as I said, you know, I think in the abstract that they, could, they use the business model, like, Profit maximization first, and the use of cheap labor is, is I think, the way for increasing profit. You actually suspend or even train, for example, a little bit train for these foreign workers because they would sign a contract for two years with the minimum wage at $9 per hour or something, $10 per hour. When when all other Canadians, for example, wouldn't actually be tied to that two-year contract. So in the business sense... It works for them because you know if I deflate your 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 wage at ten dollars for for twenty years or for for two years, for example, then I, I, I would not be subject to you know continued costs for investment for human train for human resource training or not now the issue is why do we still need temporary foreign workers when there is rising unemployment rate? The issue is whether in a particular occupation there is a labor willing to actually be in this position. So, an example of the, of, of the automobile industry, automobile uh, corporations, for example, Ontario. You were, you, you work in the plant of Ford or what? And you were, you were actually paid $30 an hour or $20 an hour for that matter, you know, the minimum, for example, in that company, would you be willing to actually accept a job at Team Hortons at $8 per hour? Though the occupation or the, the, the job is there, it's not filled. Assuming it, there is somebody interested to fill the job, how do we know that this particular business actually has uh, gone through the supposed to be required process of recruiting local labor? They would just say to HRDC that, okay, here are the proof that I advertise this in the job bank and no takers for what I'm going to give them. So that is the other issue, and that's a very good point. But what kind of job are actually we are offering temporary farm workers? Would you compete to work as a job as a cleaner? Would you compete to work as a janitor, for example? Would you compete for a work in a, in a, in a, as an agricultural worker? With no rights, with no opportunity to organize, would you do that? Now, the business sense would say, I can't find these workers who are willing to do this job, so I go for a temporary foreign worker program. So what kind of jobs are they actually taking? That jobs you don't like? Now, there's another program for high-skilled workers under the international agreements with NAFTA, with whatever. So you could actually, they could accompany, like a global corporation, could actually source out an engineer somewhere there outside of Canada, but they actually don't go under the low-skilled category we're talking about. So you're actually dealing with people here on a regular basis that actually you don't like to take on the job. And for the business model, for example, why would I stick, for example, a, you know, a, a person that I would train for a week and then, you know, leave, my, leave the job because they don't want it? Whereas under the business sense, you're under contract for me as an employer to stay in this job for two years, whether you like it or not. Because the work permit is tied to the employer, not to you. So the worker now is tied under the strict rules for stay in a particular position. I don't know if I answered that.
1: Yes, you answered it very passionately. Thank you. (laughs) Mary Shillington. Uh, We had the privilege at our table of sitting with Edwin, who's standing behind me here, or sitting behind me to ask a question from the Access Foreign Workers, and learned some things about uh, what happens in more detail than what you were able to share. Uh, I guess one of the things I'm curious about is how can we, as citizens of Alberta um, help the foreign workers who come here because they don't have many rights and 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 they often probably are fairly isolated from from the rest of us unless we have some kind of contact through their employers. Uh, but uh, I'm a social worker uh, by training and so it really bothers me that, you know, they, they don't have hardly any rights, and they're separated from their families for long points of time, and, and it concerns me about the the caregivers and homes and the abuse that they face. We have enough women being abused, and that's really an important thing. So have you got some suggestions for us as citizens of Alberta about how we can help in some way to, to change these situations?
2: I'm going to run for election. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Good. <laughs> Which
2: party? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's, a, that's also a good point. And coming from the group, uh, I think it's uh, very important for temporary foreign workers to understand that there is a sort of willingness or like, lending a hand for them as newcomers. Because, uh, you know, in the everyday, as we live you know, our lives daily, we don't go out with a banner or a sticker on my head saying, I am a temporary foreign worker, I am this and that. So regularly, okay, I, would, I, I, could be, uh, I could be identified as a temporary foreign worker because of my looks. The, 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 the issue of diversity and integration is important regardless of you know, color, regardless of your origin, regardless of that. And one of the best things that happened recently was that the temporary farm workers have now been included as a sort of a clientele for immigrant services, okay? So they could actually access, they could go to Lethbridge Immigrant Services if they seek assistance for referral or not. As individuals, I guess, as clients, as consumers of the society, as citizens of Lethbridge, for example, I would I, I would actually challenge everyone that, you know, as we eat outside, you go to Tim Horton, you go to Subway, you go to McDonald's, you check in all hotels. Those are actually sustained by temporary foreign labor force. And the kind of lifestyle we actually experience now and actually enhance now or continue to experience now is at the backs of the temporary foreign workers. So my first sense as an individual is to treat them as, as any other person with human dignity. Not simply, yeah, what did you say? I can understand your English, you know. So they do understand English. They don't have the same accent as you do. So maybe the integration of, you know, your order, of what? I ordered how many, whatever coffee you gave me this. So, you know, the, the division by races right race exists between us because of socialization. That because the other one looks different, they, are, they should be treated less than us. So what are the suggestions to do? As individuals, we could do that. We could treat them the same way as any other human being with actually the same kind of rights and respect to be to be given. The second is maybe in your own community, in your own workforce, if there's a temporary foreign worker out there and you know that they're isolated, maybe extend a helping hand to them. Extend a hand because uh, I think a big smile is enough for a day. And on your own, if it's, we work on, I think, on a symbiotic relationship, if they may find some information that they may need, maybe to you it's trivial, but for them, the very small aspect of information is important. Guiding them where to go or not is important. So I think whatever do, what we do as individuals in our daily lives, there's no different from how we treat temporary foreign workers. Suggestion would be, I could, we could have a consultation on how to do separate books. But we have a very good Lethbridge Immigrant Services here in town, and that's something to be proud of under Sarah Amis, So
4: Hello, my name is uh, Edwin, and I'm with uh, Access uh, Foreign Workers. And I just kind of wanted to add a little bit in terms of uh, what the gentleman's question was because we deal a lot with the process of bringing foreign workers here for companies that are experiencing that shortage of labor. Um, There is a lot of criteria that go into that through the government. So number one, when you're bringing a worker to Canada, that wage has to be reflected the same as to what you would pay somebody else. So you're not really eroding the wages because you have to reflect it. So if you're paying 12 bucks an hour to somebody here, you have to say, okay, we're paying 12 bucks an hour. Number two, if they are applying to a place where, let's say, um, they do have some sort of, um, uh, what should we call it? Like, say, for for example, maple leaf, pork, um, you have to be a member of um, their, um, because the the gentleman before was alluding that, you know, that was kind of eroding being part of um, the union. That's right. But when you come in, you have to be part of that union and pay your dues as well. So you have to accommodate. You have to be a part of that if they're bringing you through that. So you don't really erode that. Where where you do see the abuse is when an employer takes advantage of that person.
3: Edwin, do you have a specific
4: question? No, Edwin? I just wanted to add okay. a comment. okay. Because so, yeah, there's a few other people, so... Sure. Okay, I don't want to cut you off, but... No, and yeah. as well, and as well, uh, in terms of immigrants, like if uh, there's a foreign worker that needs help, right, you can go to the Lethbridge Immigration Services. There is somebody there that actually does work with foreign workers if they have any concerns or anything like that. Thank you.
2: Now, with regards to that uh, complaints, the the underside is that uh, foreign workers who actually show particular interest in advocating for their rights... Uh, they, the, the, the fear of uh, being deported, the fear of not being renewed is always out there. So in many ways, many of them would not actually seek uh, redress for the abuse. Uh, we, we have one class action suit now in B.C. with Dennis. It's the first time. So let's see how it works about the uh, group of temporary foreign workers also led by Filipino um, migrant workers in B.C.,
3: Hi, I'm Bev Mundell-Atherstone. Thank you so much for your talk. If you want to run, I can uh, tell you that you could, you could run for the NDP. <laughs> um, I'm with, with all the cutbacks now, with all the people who have lost their jobs, 10% of uh, funding lost to CBC, and all kinds of federal workers are losing their jobs, <clears throat> and um, uh, the loss of our Human Rights Commission... Um, and Prime Minister Harper's attempt to break the unions, like with Air Canada, um, it, it looks like <clears throat> this modern-day slavery is just part of the plan to reduce reduce wages and increase the gap between rich and poor. So I wonder if you would like to comment on the government's role in reducing the jobs that are available to Canadians, and to such a point that we have to bring in foreign workers, even though even though I know the f- gentleman just before me said they would receive the same same wages, but at the same time I was hearing five dollars were paid per hour for people. So it just seems to me that there's that this is a plan. It's a big plan to um, uh, re- just reduce the amount of the the amount that people are
2: paid for their jobs. I think you're right. in term, If you look into the, if you have, it's like, it's like uh, I think, the basic law in uh, economics, the law of supply and demand. When you have a huge supply, you have the demand for a particular service, and uh, the value of a particular service would be less. So it's, it's like teachers, for example. Why, for example, teachers are paid less, or that, because there are huge supply, for example, of teachers, so you supply, you could actually determine that. In terms of temporary foreign workers, um, the government has a role in play in shaping, for example, the the division of different groups of workers. And uh, one of the one of the things I, I saw, say in, in reading through the many of the literature on this one, is that uh, although the government has uh, has has the authority to direct the policy the substance and the, and the rationale for that policy is boosted by, by business, by the people. Okay? And who are these people supposed to be? And that's true. Like, the, we, we have job cuts. We have many of these uh, budgetary cuts in different social services. However, according to some reports by the Center for, Public, for Policy Alternative, is that the government do not, will not budge by reducing the tax uh, incentives for corporation. So if, under this model, this actually sits well with the agenda of actually using you know, supply of cheap labor from developing countries. And we looked at that from the global scale, because it's not only Canada that was doing this. You know, there are many countries doing this as well. But if you look into the global scale, you know, like in many of the countries, one of the things we have to recognize is that how how, how lives in, outside of Canada intersect with our lives. And the policies actually of, of the of the government, whether Canada or U.S. or England or France, it's actual impact on the lives of others. So you, you can't simply say that the policy is just there, right, right on top. But rather, there's what you call a historical, you know, a process understanding of history, colonization, modernization, globalization, blah. blah, blah. And then we deplete the resources of these countries. For example, we, who okay, who actually owns the resources of these countries? Okay, now there's a. Uh, a return, say, a a runabout of these workers, because there's none there left in the country, for example, then they only have their labor power to actually exchange for a better life. So they do migrate, and migration sets many of these borders, many controls on who of them would be able to do, and that's true. Um, Because we we actually have instituted an unfree labor, so we have many practices akin to modern-day slavery particularly Live-In Caregiver Program is an example. Okay, And they always make the argument that there is a demand for Live-In Caregivers because mostly the members of parliament actually benefit. And even us consumers, for example, in Canada, citizens, because we benefit from the program, we don't say much about the program. So it takes temporary foreign workers and other former temporary farm workers, to advocate for their protection and welfare. Because as citizens of Canada, we don't do that because we benefit, we enjoy the service that they do give us. Instead of paying, for example, $1,000 for one kid, X number of hours in a regular daycare, for a living caregiver, you do that times two. So it's a, it's, it makes sense. It's like, it's like your dollar store. But to get more, you know, for less. So... Uh,
4: Thank you. Uh, Please join me in thanking Dr. Bonifacio for uh, talking today.
2: Thank you very much.
4: And thanks, everyone, for attending and for your questions.